Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. In October 2012, the internet was buzzing with the news that the queen bee herself, Beyonce, would be performing the halftime show during the 47th Super Bowl. But in January 2013, just a couple weeks before the big game, Beyonce stirred up a bit of controversy when she admitted in an interview that she had lip-synced the Star-Spangled Banner at President Obama's second inauguration. In order to correct this minor tarnish to her otherwise sterling reputation, Beyonce insisted that she would be singing live at the Super Bowl, which by all accounts she did to smashing success. The crowd went wild when Beyonce stepped out on stage and began belting out an a cappella version of the chorus of her hit song Love on Top, which led into what was widely regarded as one of the best Super Bowl halftime shows ever. In fact, Super Bowl 47 went on to be one of the most watched halftime shows in Super Bowl history, with 110.8 million viewers. But as Beyonce wrapped up her set and the crowd stood and cheered, the Queen Bee did something unusual. She held her hands up and put the tips of her fingers together to form an open triangle. This seemingly small hand gesture immediately set a different subset of the internet on fire. Because to many conspiracy theorists, this was proof positive of something that many had long suspected. That by making this sign, Beyonce was announcing to the world that she was the leader of the most infamous secret society of them all, the Illuminati. There have been plenty of secret societies throughout history, but there is one in particular that is said to rule over all others the one at the top of the proverbial pyramid. According to conspiracy lore, the Illuminati is the shadowy cabal of the world's elites who secretly control, well, everything. The Illuminati is the shadowy secret society that has allegedly pulled the strings on practically every major global event over the last few centuries. Their goal is to reshape the world into a totalitarian nightmare, bringing about a so-called New World Order. Members of this exclusive secret society are said to include a laundry list of the biggest names in the entertainment, political, and financial worlds. This includes not only Beyonce, but her husband Jay-Z, Lady Gaga, Kim Kardashian, Rihanna, Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, Barack Obama, and plenty of other presidents as well. According to conspiracy theorists, the Illuminati were the puppet masters behind 9-11, the COVID-19 pandemic, the French Revolution, the Battle of Waterloo, and the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, just to name a few world-changing events. But is any of it true? Hardcore skeptics will say the Illuminati is all just tinfoil hat nonsense straight out of a Dan Brown novel. But the fact is, there really was an order of the Illuminati that we know existed back in the 18th century. The question remains, though, does the Illuminati still exist today? And are they the ones secretly in control of the world? I'm Nate Hale, and this one's dedicated to all my secret lizard people listeners out there. And this is The Conspirators.
Let's get one thing out in the open right away. If the Illuminati is real and is secretly in charge of the world, then they're also one of the least secret secret societies in history. You can see references to the Illuminati all throughout pop culture, from movies and books, comics, cartoons, hit songs, and much more. This list even includes your wallet, because if the lore is to be believed, the pyramid with the all-seeing eye that appears on the back of the dollar bill is an Illuminati symbol. Believers in the Illuminati conspiracy also believe that all this publicity is intentional, as a way to make the general public dismiss these tales of the shadowy secret society as tinfoil hat nonsense. All the while, the real Illuminati works behind the scenes to bring about their new world order. To understand the Illuminati conspiracy, you first need to know where it all started. It began with an 18th century German professor of canon law named Adam Weishaupt, who grew up during the Age of Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a period between 1685 and 1815 of major upheaval in Western ideology that helped shape the modern world as we know it today. During this time, many of the world's greatest thinkers, such as Voltaire, René Descartes, Thomas Hobbes, and Francis Bacon, began to question the religious doctrine that up until then had been the backbone of European society. Suddenly, there was a new focus on rational thinking, on philosophy, mathematics, and science, all in an attempt to make sense of the world and to answer the biggest questions of life in ways that didn't involve God and the Bible. At the same time, there was a tremendous amount of pushback from the church that saw this new way of thinking as a threat to their power structure. In order to continue pursuing such radical ideas, a number of secret societies made up of like-minded individuals began forming throughout Europe. This included the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons. To learn about the Illuminati, it's important that we first have some understanding of the Rosicrucians and Freemasons as well, because all these groups are so inextricably linked. In regards to the Freemasons, they were originally formed based on the fraternal organization of 13th century stonecutters and masons. Although it's difficult to say exactly when the Freemasons officially first came together. Some records point to them starting in Scotland in the 16th century although officially the first Grand Lodge of England didn't open its doors until 1717. There are some stories claiming the Freemasons are much, much older, though, dating back to a time before the Roman Empire. In any case, over time, the Freemasons built up a series of secret groups and meeting locations called lodges. Each of these lodges was controlled by a master, and inside, the master would lead the lodge members in a series of sacred rituals and practices that it's almost certain the Catholic Church would not approve of. The founder of the Order of the Illuminati, Adam Weishaupt, was born in Ingolstadt, in Upper Bavaria, in 1748. He was a descendant of Jewish converts to Christianity, although he was orphaned at an early age. He was raised by a scholarly uncle who enrolled him in a Jesuit school. After completing school, he got married and started a family. He then went on to become a professor of natural and canon law at the University of Ingolstadt. Canon law pertains to the rules and regulations set up by the church and typically refers to what was deemed appropriate for a Christian family at the time. On the surface, it all seemed like a pretty typical academic life. But in actuality, Weishaupt was becoming more and more dissatisfied with the confines society was placing on him. When Weishaupt was still a boy, he began reading the works of several French Enlightenment philosophers that were part of his uncle's library. During the time when Weishaupt was growing up, Bavaria was deeply conservative and ruled by the Habsburg monarchy and the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. 
This was an ultra-conservative religious order within the Catholic Church. Weishaupt grew to believe that both the Church and the monarchy repressed free thinking. Weishaupt was the only non-Jesuit at the university and he began to feel like he was being singled out for not being one of them, as well as for his outspoken nature regarding freedom in politics and religion. Over time, Weishaupt grew to bitterly believe that religion was no longer an adequate basis for a system of government. And what was needed was for a new way of thinking to spread throughout Europe. This would have to be a radical paradigm shift in the public's personal beliefs. Weishaupt began to think this lofty goal might actually be achievable if he first began to spread his message of free thinking to a select few individuals, who would then go on to spread this new gospel to even more people. Back around the same time, Freemasonry was steadily expanding throughout Europe. Early on, Weishaupt tried joining a Freemason lodge, but he quickly became disillusioned by many of the Freemasons' ideas. He also became absorbed in the study of a number of other esoteric philosophies, including the Kabbalah and the mysteries of the Seven Sages of Memphis. He took bits and pieces of this knowledge and began conceiving of a brand new secret society, one that he would be in charge of. In the beginning, Weishaupt only needed to look to his own students to begin finding the first initiates into this secret society. He was considered the cool professor in his university mostly because of how openly he would talk about bucking authority and breaking free of the shackles of religion. He began holding private study sessions with a select few receptive students in his private quarters. They'd spend hours debating religion and philosophy. They'd even get high from smoking cannabis. In 1774, at age 26, Weishaupt joined a Freemason lodge. He expected to find a bunch of free thinkers like himself, but he quickly became disillusioned when he realized the other members were nothing like him. No one seemed very interested in his radical thoughts and ideas. He was also disappointed in how openly this so-called secret society operated. Although many of the Masonic rituals and practices were supposedly kept hush-hush behind closed doors, Weishaupt soon learned that even non-members could find out much of what the group believed if you dug around long enough. Over time, though, Weishaupt did manage to find a handful of Freemasons who had become as disillusioned as he was. They decided to form their own secret order that they felt would flourish and surpass the Masons. This new secret society would be one where they could correct what they saw as the Freemasons' biggest flaws. This would be a truly secret society, one where they could openly pursue their anti-clerical and anti-Jesuit agendas. There were five members in attendance during the first meeting of Weishaupt's new secret society on the night of May 1, 1776. These five young men met in the forest near Ingolstadt. Bathed in golden torchlight, they began establishing the rules for membership into their society. All future members of the group would only be accepted by unanimous consent of the original five members. Potential initiates would be carefully chosen from well-established and influential families with extensive social connections as well as considerable wealth. These were the things they knew they would need in order to ensure the group could grow and begin to spread its tendrils throughout all levels of society. One stumbling block the group had early on was coming up with a name for themselves. Weishaupt originally thought they should have a name that reflected this perfect society they were forming. So he came up with the name The Perfectibilists, which I think we can all agree is both dumb and difficult to say. They also once considered calling themselves The Bee Order, since they imagined their group would be broken up into separate hives. And no, that's not a sign they knew Beyonce would one day lead the group. Over the next couple years, they workshopped a few other potential names before finally landing on the Illuminati, which is taken from a Latin word meaning the Enlightened Ones. 
Although the group dropped the bee metaphor early on, they did end up adopting the Owl of Minerva as one of their symbols. Minerva was the Roman goddess of wisdom, justice, law, and victory, and Raal was thought to bring wisdom to individuals who had gone through a period of self-reflection. Initially, the group's membership had three levels, novices, minervals, and illuminated minervals. The original five members of the Illuminati all chose code names for themselves as well, all taken from Greek and Roman mythology. Weishaupten assumed the mantle of Spartacus, the former gladiator who rose up against the Roman Empire. On the surface, it seemed like the Illuminati really had their act together and had the real potential for accomplishing their goals. But for the first couple of years, the group struggled to grow or to accomplish much of anything. There was also a great deal of infighting among the original members. One of the first five members of the group was given the boot for embezzling funds. There was another member named Anton von Massenhausen, who had been instrumental in forming the Illuminati and recruiting new members. But he left in a huff after Weishaupt promoted a newer initiate, a nobleman named Franz Xavier von Zwack, as his second-in-command, instead of him. Weishaupt later claimed that Massenhausen was more interested in chasing girls than he was in helping the group achieve world domination. Von Zwack was the first new recruit who had some real influence in high society. He was in charge of the Bavarian National Lottery, and he proved even more effective than Massenhausen in recruiting new members. Despite having an active recruitment drive, the group remained choosy about its new initiates. Any potential new member of the Illuminati was a young man between 18 to 30, one who came from a wealthy background and also had to come from a Christian upbringing. Considering Weishaupt was born Jewish, this should be seen as more than a tad hypocritical. Illuminati members also had to adhere to a number of strict rules and rituals. This included keeping secret notebooks in which they would write down their innermost thoughts and spiritual experiences. Weishaupt reserved the right to examine any of these notebooks at a moment's notice. Society members were expected to memorize and be able to recite long monologues about the group's defining principles. Weishaupt did not tolerate any thoughts or ideas that were different from his own. He once told von Zwack that the Illuminati cannot use people as they are, but rather they must be remade into the group's image. Although originally the Illuminati were slow to grow their numbers, it was through von Zwack's connections in high society that they began to make some key inroads into places of power. Von Zwack recruited another professor of canon law from Ingolstadt named Jacob Anton van Hertel. He was an influential member of the Roman Catholic Church in Bavaria, and he was able to feed the group intelligence regarding the church's agenda toward the Freemason and other secret societies. They also managed to recruit the head of the imperial postal system for the Holy Roman Empire. This allowed the Illuminati to be able to inspect all incoming mail in order to collect intelligence and to stay one step ahead of anyone who might want to do the group harm. But the biggest score in the Illuminati's recruitment drive had to be Baron Adolf Franz Friedrich Ludwig von Niga. He was a wealthy and influential member of high society as well as a high-ranking member of the Freemasons, who was becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the Masons and who had begun looking elsewhere for ancient secrets. When Niga met Weishaupt, he became enamored with the Illuminati's Grand Master who began telling him all about the ancient origins of his secret society, which he said predated Christianity. It didn't take Niga long to figure out that Weishaupt was lying through his teeth and that the Illuminati were not as old and well-established as Weishaupt claimed. In January 1781, Weishaupt wrote to Niga apologizing for his little deception. But instead of growing angry, Niga saw this as an opportunity in which he would be able to shape and build his own secret society, one that could overtake the Freemasons. 
Niga took many of the Freemasons' rituals and practices, changing them up a bit, and began calling them Illuminati rituals. Niga thought that if the Illuminati played their cards right, they could actually take over a number of Freemason lodges and reshape them in their image. He revised the system of membership into the Illuminati to 13 levels, which he called degrees. Those levels were then grouped into three classes. Reaching the highest level of the order meant that a member had achieved philosophical illumination. Over the next few years, the Illuminati grew in numbers. It's believed there were around 600 members by 1782. Within two more years, it's estimated their ranks had swelled to as many as 3,000 members. This included a number of politicians, lawyers, noblemen, doctors, and other key members of high society. But all wasn't well within the Illuminati's inner circle. Weissop wasn't happy with how much control Niga had over the secret society. The two men argued constantly, and eventually Niga left the group. This wasn't the only fracture in the group from around this time either. As the Illuminati grew in size and influence, a number of other competing secret societies began to grow increasingly concerned about them. One of these was the Rosicrucians. The Rosicrucians were another secretive group that arose in the 17th century. They too believed that they possessed secret knowledge of the universe, although they were far more mystical in their beliefs than the Illuminati and the Freemasons were. The Rosicrucians were anti-clerical in their beliefs, and yet they still promoted the idea that they were able to tap into the mystical energies of the universe, and that they were in touch with celestial beings on a higher plane of existence. The leaders would prove this to their members by employing parlor tricks and carefully orchestrated special effects. Although Weisopt despised the methods employed by the Rosicrucians, other Illuminati members like Niga remained fascinated by them. Back when Niga was still part of the Illuminati leadership, he tried inviting some Rosicrucians to join them instead and share their mystical knowledge. But what Niga and Weisopt didn't know was that the Rosicrucians were taking steps to bring down the Illuminati. Throughout the 18th century, the Rosicrucians were widely popular throughout Germany. They made a devastating blow to the Illuminati when they absorbed the oldest and most influential Masonic Lodge in Germany, the Three Globes Grand National Lodge. Once the Rosicrucians were in charge of such a prestigious Freemason Lodge, they began a campaign to denounce the Illuminati, declaring them to be a bunch of anti-religious anarchists. This led to further infighting among the top-level Illuminati members. Not only did Niga lead, but so too did several other high-ranking Illuminati members who disagreed with Weishaupt's ideas and the authoritarian control he insisted upon. One disgruntled former member named Joseph Uchneider wrote a letter to the Grand Duchess of Bavaria, voicing his grave concerns about the Illuminati. In his letter, Uchneider detailed everything he knew about the secret society, as well as a lot of other things he completely made up. He wrote in his letter to the Duchess that the Illuminati believed that suicide was a legitimate response to threats. Suicide was strictly forbidden back then because it was considered a mortal sin by the Catholic Church. He also said that the group would resort to poisoning their enemies in order to guard their secrets. He said that the group had declared themselves the enemies of religion, as well as the monarchy itself. Uchneider went on to say that the group's ultimate goal was to bring down the monarchy and install themselves as the new rulers of Bavaria. None of which, as you can imagine, went over particularly well with the folks in charge. Most of these things weren't true, by the way. As I mentioned earlier, Weishaupt had a complicated attitude toward religion. Although he was very much against the amount of political sway he saw the Catholic Church had in government, he also insisted his Illuminati members all come from a Christian background. In addition, Weishaupt had long been attempting to court favor from Charles Theodore, the Duke Elector of Bavaria. In fact, at one point, Weishaupt applied to create a separate Freemason lodge, one that he called the Theodore of the Good Council, 
in order to flatter the duke. But after Uchneider sent his letter, none of this mattered and the damage was done. At the same time, the Illuminati were also being accused of distributing a number of anti-religious and anti-government pamphlets throughout Bavaria. In June 1784, Charles Theodore issued an edict banning the creation of any secret society not previously authorized by law. A year later, in March 1785, the Bavarian sovereign passed another edict banning all secret societies. Mass arrests occurred soon after that. Bavarian police raided a number of homes of suspected Illuminati members and collected a large amount of damning evidence. This including documents defending suicide and atheism, recipes to make invisible ink, plans for a female branch of the society, and medical instructions to carry out abortions. All this evidence and more was used to form a case accusing the Illuminati of conspiring against the church and the monarchy. In August 1787, a third edict was issued that imposed the death penalty on anyone caught joining one of the banned secret societies. Weishaupt was fired from his job at the University of Ingolstadt and banished from the region. He spent the rest of his life living in Gotha, in Saxony, where he taught philosophy at the University of Göttingen. According to the rulers of Bavaria, the Illuminati were no more. But was that really the case? Or did they just burrow further underground, biding their time? and growing their power and influence. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Despite the Illuminati officially being disbanded, conspiracy theories about the group lived on. They even spread across the ocean to the still young United States of America. In 1797 and 1798, respectively, two books were published. August Barul's Memoirs Illustrating the History of Jacobism and John Robeson's Proofs of a Conspiracy both of which promoted the theory that the Illuminati had not only survived the Bavarian Purge, but that they had grown in power and now represented a true international threat. Among other things, the books claimed that the Illuminati were the real puppet masters who sparked the French Revolution. Both books proved to be immensely popular, and many of the theories they promoted were spread and reprinted in a number of other books and pamphlets. The works of Barul and Robeson made their way to New England, and were further spread by an Orthodox congregational minister named Jedediah Morse. On May 9, 1798, Morse delivered a fiery sermon that was all about the Illuminati conspiracy. Soon, other ministers began printing their own sermons, raging against the growing Illuminati threat. These sermons would soon spread to a number of newspaper reporters who printed articles warning of the Illuminati to readers across the U.S., on July 4, 1798, Timothy Dwight, the president of Yale University and one of the most powerful men in New England, delivered a sermon before his college warning them that the Illuminati were a very real threat to the country's young democracy. 
Dwight told the audience that he believed the Illuminati sought nothing less than the total overthrow of religion, government, and human society as a whole. He told students that the Illuminati believed that the ends justified the means, even up to, and including murder and genocide to achieve their goals. Both George Washington, right after he stepped down from being president, and John Jay, the former Chief Justice and Governor of New York, wrote letters in support of Jedediah Morse, Timothy Dwight, and others who had helped bring attention to the growing Illuminati threat. It was no coincidence that Morse, Dwight, and several other powerful individuals who were sounding the alarm about the Illuminati were all Federalists, and they were all in direct opposition to the Republican candidate in the upcoming election, a fellow by the name of Thomas Jefferson. Many Federalists began claiming that Jefferson was the chosen candidate of the Illuminati. What they didn't expect was that their own conspiracy would end up being turned against them. The New England Federalists were made up of many members like Dwight who still clung to a number of old-school Puritan beliefs. Many of them weren't particularly happy with the concept of the separation of church and state. They supported the re-election of their man John Adams against Republican Thomas Jefferson, a candidate whom they saw as anti-religious to the point of practically being an outright atheist. In truth, Jefferson was a deist who believed that Jesus Christ was an enlightened prophet. He dismissed the biblical story of the resurrection and thought of the Gospels as myths. Coupled together with Jefferson's pro-France beliefs, and a lot of Federalists came to believe that Thomas Jefferson had to be a member of the Illuminati. But all this anti-Illuminati paranoia the Federalists sparked would soon backfire against them. They made the mistake of shunning a preacher named John C. Ogden. For years, Ogden had tried to establish himself in New England, but he kept getting rejected wherever he went. He often spoke out about the entrenched power structure in the Congregationalist clergy that he said kept him on the outside. In 1793, a bitter and rejected Ogden left New England for New York and Philadelphia. There he began publishing a series of anonymous articles in the anti-Federalist Philadelphia newspaper, The Aurora, about a sinister conspiracy he claimed he had uncovered. Ogden wrote that he had found damning evidence that, despite publicly railing against the Illuminati, the Dwight brothers and Morse were secretly Illuminati members. Ogden's articles claimed that the Federalists were just deflecting the Illuminati accusations away from themselves in order to get their own chosen candidate, John Adams, re-elected. Ogden's articles referred to Timothy Dwight as the Pope of New England, claiming that Dwight was using his position as the head of Yale University to infiltrate the country's higher education system and to instill Illuminati ideas into the youth of America. By November of 1799, Ogden had stepped up his attacks and began pushing his own conspiracy theory that the New England Federalists were clearly a sister society to the European Illuminati. Of course, Dwight and the other Federalists objected to these articles, claiming they were all nonsense. But the more they protested, the more this just made them look guilty. Although Dwight's original warnings about the Illuminati focused on the secret society's threat to religion... Ogden's warnings about the Illuminati caught on more with the American public because he was able to successfully portray the group as a sinister cabal that was out to create its own secret state religion that wanted to control every level of government. It was this level of paranoia that helped derail John Adams' re-election campaign and allowed Thomas Jefferson to win the October 1800 presidential election. Although Ogden died a few months before the election and never got to see this happen. As we can see, even in the modern day, it turns out that conspiracy theories can be powerful motivating factors in politics. This isn't to say that all conspiracy theories aren't real, although it can be very difficult to tell which ones should be believed. 
Conspiracy theories have a way of taking on a life of their own. Even stories that have a kernel of truth to them often get intertwined with exaggerations and outright lies, making it difficult, if not impossible, to tell what to believe. Throughout the decades following the 1800 election of Thomas Jefferson, anti-Illuminati conspiracy theories would continue to spread and often get mixed up with a number of anti-Freemason conspiracies. In 1828, the Anti-Masonic Party was formed in opposition to the Freemason. The Freemasons remained a major source of paranoia for a number of Americans who saw their reach into every aspect of government. Oftentimes, the Freemasons and the Illuminati would get confused for one another, probably because the Illuminati took so many Freemason ideas. Not to mention the fact that for many years, one of the Bavarian Illuminati's goals was to take over a number of Masonic lodges. It's widely believed that the Eye of Providence, the pyramid with the eye on top that appears on the back of the dollar bill, is a Freemason symbol. Although some conspiracy theories actually tie it more to the Illuminati. Conspiracy theories about the Illuminati would live on into the 19th and 20th centuries. Occasionally, some book or magazine article would bring up the Illuminati and restate the belief that the group was secretly behind world-changing events like the French Revolution. Some people even blame the Illuminati for the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the event that helped spark World War I. A popular French book promoted the theory that the Illuminati was secretly funding extremist Marxist groups that were part of the World Revolution movement. This was a growing Marxist movement that hoped to overthrow world governments by organizing the working class. Supposedly, this movement was behind a number of assassinations of world leaders throughout the late 19th and early 20th centuries, including President McKinley in 1901, the Grand Duke Sergei of Russia in 1905, and the Royal Family of Portugal in 1908. It's worth noting that shortly before the assassination of King Carlos I of Portugal and his son Luis Felipe, the Prince Royal, the master of the Freemason Lodge of Portugal gave a lecture in Paris in which he talked about the most effective way to overthrow a monarchy. He even said that one of the best ways to do so was to assassinate the king. Granted, we're talking about a member of the Freemasons and not the Illuminati, but the two secret societies had become so inextricably linked throughout conspiracy circles it's difficult to tell them apart sometimes. As the years went on, the Illuminati would be blamed for any number of other major events in history. This included the Bolshevik Revolution, Hitler's rise to power in Germany, and the start of the Cold War. Many of the people who wrote about the Illuminati conspiracy also began to take a distinctly anti-Semitic stance as well, claiming that the Illuminati were part of a Jewish conspiracy to control international banking. At some point, other stories began to spread that the Illuminati worshipped Satan, and that the group had sold their souls to the devil in exchange for power. In 1958, the ultra-right-wing John Birch Society was formed, and they leaned heavily into promoting themselves as being both anti-Illuminati, as well as fighting back against a number of other conspiracy theories regarding the formation of a so-called one-world government. In its inception, Adam Weishaupt saw the Illuminati as an anti-establishment and anti-religious order. But by the early 20th century, many anti-Semitic writers would come to twist the narrative and recast the Illuminati as part of a Jewish cabal with plans to replace capitalism with communism. That view would evolve even further over time to transform the group into a shadowy secret organization who planned on taking over world governments and establishing a so-called New World Order. According to the conspiracy theory, the Illuminati will accomplish this by creating conditions in which people will voluntarily give up their freedoms. This will be done by staging wars, pandemics, and terrorist attacks that strike fear into the hearts of the public. By this point, people will be so conditioned that they would readily accept living under a police state controlled by the Illuminati to maintain order. 
From there, all free speech and freedom of expression would be eliminated. A single world currency would be established, controlled, of course, by the Illuminati. Extreme surveillance would be widespread. Mandatory vaccinations would be used to control the populace. Eugenics and population control would be put in place, weeding out any population or parts of society that Illuminati deem unsuitable. This all sounds like a nightmare scenario, of course. Plenty of conspiracy theorists point everything from 9-11 to the COVID-19 pandemic as all being part of this insidious plot. According to conspiracy theories, one of the biggest moves the Illuminati ever made was the assassination of President John F. Kennedy on November 22, 1963. On that day in Dallas, shots rang out in Dealey Plaza in Texas, killing the President of the United States and changing the course of American history ever since. According to many conspiracy theorists, JFK's assassination was a coup staged by the Illuminati, who saw Kennedy as a threat to their world domination plans. Not only was the president murdered on live television, but his suspected assassin was shot and killed just days afterwards before he could ever go on trial. It's pretty easy to see why many people would believe a conspiracy was happening right before their eyes. On top of that, within the next few years, both Martin Luther King Jr. and the president's brother, Bobby Kennedy, were both assassinated as well. Many people began to connect the dots and began to theorize that there must be some shadowy organization behind it all. All this talk of conspiracies in the Illuminati came to the attention of an editor at Playboy magazine named Robert Anton Wilson. Although Wilson didn't consider himself much of a believer in conspiracy theories about the Illuminati, many of these theories did strike a chord with him because of his personal belief in a philosophy called Discordianism. This was a sort of anarchist belief sprung up out of the hippie counterculture movement that said that people needed to question reality at every level. Wilson bought heavily into the Discordian movement, which bid its followers to worship Eris, the goddess of chaos. Wilson thought the world was becoming too authoritarian, so he wanted to shake things up by sowing a little chaos of his own. Although Wilson didn't put much stock into the idea that the Illuminati were some secret cabal out for world domination, he did think it could be a great opportunity to show just how absurd everything was. Wilson teamed up with Kerry Thornley, one of the authors of the Principia Discordia, the original text that started Discordianism. The two of them began sending in fake letters from readers talking about the Illuminati and the grand conspiracy behind them. They sent in letter after letter, many of which contradicted things they said earlier, thinking that most readers would be smart enough to pick up on the joke. Only things didn't turn out quite the way they planned. Instead, a lot of people bought into the Illuminati conspiracy and began spreading their own conspiracy theories about the shadowy secret society. Then in 1975, Wilson collaborated with another Playboy editor, Robert Shea, and the two of them published three novels called the Illuminatus Trilogy. These three books went all in on every Illuminati theory ever conceived, and came up with plenty of new ones as well. This satirical postmodern adventure story weaves together discordianism, numerology, mysticism, you name it, it's all in there. The meandering plot contains references to the assassinations of JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King, as well as stories about UFOs, Atlantis, the Cold War, Adolf Hitler, Woodstock, John Dillinger, and even some of H.P. Lovecraft's other dimensional monsters. One part of the trilogy even claimed that Adam Weishaupt murdered George Washington and assumed his identity, becoming the first president of the United States. Although Shea and Wilson widely admitted that the Illuminatus trilogy was nothing but satire, a lot of people took it seriously. Many of the conspiracy theories the writers discuss about the Illuminati's goals of establishing a one-world government have become widespread today. In fact, a new related theory has sprung up in recent years that all these pop culture references to the Illuminati are just a cover for the real Illuminati to hide in plain sight. 
while they work behind the scenes to bring about their plans for a one-world government. In the age of the internet, theories about the Illuminati have become even wilder and more widespread. Some stories even claim that the Illuminati are really a race of shape-shifting reptilian extraterrestrials. This theory gets tied directly into the theory that these reptilians have infiltrated Hollywood in the music industry and become some of our highest-paid celebrities. That's where Beyoncé comes in. Not only is Beyoncé beautiful and an incredible singer, but she can also dance flawlessly and command an audience like few others. There are those who believe that Beyoncé is just too perfect to be real. That's because, according to some conspiracy theorists, she's not. You can find YouTube and TikTok videos purporting to show Beyoncé and other high-profile figures like Barack Obama momentarily letting their guard down and morphing back into their true reptilian features. So according to some conspiracy theorists, when Beyoncé flashed her triangular hand signal during Super Bowl 47, she was actually signaling to the world that she was the big lizard at the top of the Illuminati's pyramid. Now, of course, Beyoncé herself angrily denies these Illuminati accusations both in interviews and her songs. Some articles claim that the triangular hand gesture is just a way of saying, okay. Other stories claim it's Bee's way of showing some love toward her husband Jay-Z, and is actually in reference to his record label, Rockefeller Records, which uses the diamond as its symbol. Jay-Z has also been known to use the same hand symbol on stage, although I guess he would if he were married to the leader of the Illuminati. In recent years, fear of the Illuminati in the entertainment industry has become widespread. In 2018, Rihanna, another alleged Illuminati heavyweight, was planning on visiting Dakar for a conference hosted by the organization, the Global Partnership for Education. She was supposed to attend the conference along with, among others, the French and Senegalese presidents. But then a coalition of 30 religious organizations formed to protest Rihanna's involvement because they claimed she was there to promote her Satanist and Illuminati agenda. It should be noted that the same religious group also had a number of other rather bigoted and anti-homosexual beliefs. But this incident does go to show just how widespread the fear of the Illuminati still exists today. Bigotry and jealousy do seem to be at the heart of a lot of modern Illuminati conspiracies. One thing Beyonce, Jay-Z, Rihanna, President Obama, and many other celebrities who are alleged Illuminati members have in common is that they're all black. There does exist a certain subset of conspiracy theorists who simply refuse to believe that these individuals could have become so rich and famous if they weren't shape-shifting aliens who sold their souls to the devil. So does the Illuminati really exist today? It seems unlikely. It is an undeniable fact that wealthy and influential people do tend to congregate together behind closed doors and that many of them do make plans to change society in ways that benefit themselves through their money and power. But the idea of some vast global secret society who plans to control us all just seems unwieldy and implausible. Human beings are really great at seeing patterns so that we can bring order to chaos. We draw connections between events in order to make sense of how messy life really is. Fact is, though, the world can be a scary place, and sometimes we need to find ways to make sense of it. In that respect, perhaps in some ways we need the Illuminati to be real, in order to give some meaning to it all. When in reality, life is unpredictable, and sometimes bad things happen for no reason. Or perhaps, that's just what they want us to think. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Hunter, Alex, and Rebecca for signing up and helping support the show. Just a reminder, the patrons get access to all sorts of nifty bonuses, including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our ever-growing library of bonus mini-episodes. 
Another great way you can help support the show is to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. Currently, you can find The Conspirators on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and pretty much everywhere else you get your podcasts. Elsewhere, I encourage you to check us out on social media and follow us along. We're currently on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast.com and let us know how we're doing. I love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll be back next time.